You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. Hey guys, you there? Yeah, we're here. What's going on? Hey, well, not much. Glad you guys joined us. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Well, you guys go from Army Rangers to ranchers. How, how the hell did that happen? Uh, a lot of good luck and a lot of bad luck. <laughs> and a ton of hard work. Um, back in, what was it, 2000? Yeah, I guess it started with, uh, uh, I guess with my motorcycle wreck leading us yeah. that way. But uh, in 2009, I was struck by a drunk driver uh, outside of Columbus, Georgia. Uh, Paul and I were riding motorcycles just after work one day and uh, tore me up pretty bad. Uh, they were trying to amputate my leg and everything. Oh, wow. You know, Paul was right there, had to do blood sweeps, you know, do, he had to do like femoral uh, arterial pressure, you know, like on your inside of your groin for right. me. I had like my femur sticking out, uh, my tip fib <sighs> cracked, sticking through the skin in two places. It's pretty, uh, it's like a IED or something, you know, yeah. and, uh, but we're back home. So Paul scooped me up from that and he had to escort me all the way home and everything. And, uh, you know, we kind of had to part ways and a lot of our buddies, like right after that were some really hard deployments where a lot of our buddies died and all. So I was going through that, you know, not being there stage and, you know, they were still fighting and grinding and out for, you know, he was going on six years, you know, that's a long time to be a ranger. And, uh, you know, I started ranching to kind of in between my surgeries because I had like nine or 10 surgeries and I started just redoing my family farm. And then uh, I just realized like the farming kept me busy and kept that stuff off my mind and all. And, uh, and then I just expanded on it. And then talking to Paul, I was like, man, like this is the job for us. If you get hurt, you can come here and we can do this because with me being hurt it was kind of hard on my own so i was kind of hoping he was going to be okay with it <laughs> honestly but uh it's hard not to fall in love with and, yeah uh, we and use horses and whatnot and, and i did end up getting hurt um i've got degenerative disc disease now and a myriad of other joint complications cat's husband kyle we were rangers together he, he likes to say that we're like a 55-year-old coal miner on the <laughs> yeah. inside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I definitely understand what you mean. I had a neck injury, and that a long time ago, I had an orthopedic surgeon say to me, you can either continue doing what you're doing or change your lifestyle so that you can throw the you know baseball later with your grandchildren or something. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, well, did, you did you choose the right lifestyle? I was going to say, I mean, you're still humping <laughs> like, you know, hay and whatever. Yeah. That's very, very true. Um, <laughs> we compensate with the horses a lot so we don't have to run around you know with the cattle or put ourselves in too tricky of a situation but there are some things you can't get around but you know us being rangers i guess it's kind of good uh you do get to sort of make your own hours and you're on a slower timeline you know kind of like an earth timeline yeah seasonal changes yeah. and rain and, uh, and between us we're almost as healthy as one good ranger yeah <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's you know, what's cool about that is like you guys are doing what makes you happy you know so I mean right. you could be freaking wrecked but if your brain's wrecked too then yeah exactly. no go so no, that's the the biggest thing I'm thankful for is I got out I had I had what I thought was a good direction I was going to do civilian marksmanship instruction but after six deployments and nine years in the military you know hanging out with strangers and guns just didn't really yeah I was I was not at ease uh in that job so uh, I got real lucky. You know, now I'm low pressure. I'm not grinding it out. 
Uh, well, it's nice. The good thing about the farming was, uh, I noticed with this old farmer, he kind of took me under my wing, under his wing, and while Paul was still in, to kind of show me the way. And uh, I realized like I needed something else to talk about besides just being a ranger or being in a hospital. And uh, I also like I didn't want to shoot or anything like that because it just reminded me of like, oh, I'm not a ranger anymore. I didn't want to like, I can't be that guy. And so finding something else that you love to do and you still feel like you're a man when you're doing it or something or proud of yourself at the end of the day was real important to kind of like start my post-military life and, sure uh, in a way like i'm glad because you know with paul being a sniper and you know he's basically got doctored and shooting and uh <laughs> you know for him to find something that he's not touching a gun all the time and can still be happy that really says something too and I think it's kind of helped us. Yeah, that's not something I ex- would have expected yeah. to find, but <laughs> I'm sure so, it's been like really therapeutic, though. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you have to. The hard part, you know, coming back from deployments uh, or adjusting to civilian life is turning off. You know, you turn off your hypervigilance or, or that instinct that kept you alive, and that's that's a hard one instinct, and it's something mm-hmm. I cherish. But you know, if you're in a horse stall with a two thousand pound animal you must be calm or you're going to get smashed into grits. And oh. the same thing if you're in a corral full of cows, yeah. you know, so it kind of forces you to go to a place that you haven't been since maybe before the military. And, uh, that is what kept me around the most. I think that was the biggest factor was just the fact that I could calm down, center my mind in a way that I, I couldn't do anywhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So animals kind of force you yeah the animals make you do it i just want i just want to highlight like you guys are just a prime example of what most service members not just rangers like go through you know you figure i'm only talented at shooting and killing people so that's where i gotta go like paul you said you wanted to go be an instructor where you know most of the guys that get out and just all the conversations that i've heard you guys have about you know, when we were used to be at Wade's place talking like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go be an instructor. I got to go do this or do a contract. And it's like you're going for that comfort, you know. So you guys are just an awesome example for finding your roots before the military. I mean, you still are proud of your service, proud of being Rangers, proud of the guys that you served with. But you you expanded on something that's more than that. And I think that's what a lot of veterans have such a hard time doing is they're so focused on I got to be the same as I was in the military because that's who defined who I was. But I mean, look at, I mean, you guys are still using the same traits, I would say, like on the farm, but now it's not, you're not shooting. You know what I mean? You're not still in that mindset of like ranger, 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 where a lot of guys, that's, that's pretty much what defies them. And then they go through like a spiral of just crap when they get out. So, I mean, just for our listeners, because we, you know, we have a bunch of different guests on here that just show like the struggles they had after transitioning and what they've come to. I mean, this is a huge, huge benefit for them to see how you guys stay connected, but you're not letting your service completely define you. So, yeah, I think it's awesome. It's important to highlight. You know, it's something that we can't really say too much. That's it's hard won experience. It's hard won knowledge. People will pay you for it, and it feels like when you get out, you better cash in on that know because that's your career that's your field and uh you know that that is glamorous you know what i mean yeah i mean you guys have like that image and it's like i gotta still do this because i know i can make money but ultimately you're not gonna be happy 
Yeah, there's no more missions for you when you're out. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, where's your brothers, you know? Like, they're they're still over there doing the fight, or they're out, you know, trying to transition as well. But, I mean, for you guys to get out, and I mean, like, James, for you to go out and be like, I gotta, I mean, just to mentally know that you can't have that, ment- you can't have that mentality. Like, you can't just sit there and think, like, I gotta just, I'm just a ranger, that's it. You know, that my service is who I am. But you, I mean, going through all your surgeries and everything like that, I mean, I'm not trying to, like, make your head ginormous, but that's huge. Like, a lot of people cannot grasp that mentally. And for you to take Paul in, that's awesome. No, and he really, uh, he does a good job of underselling his efforts. No, there's no getting around the grind of being a ranger. Like, it's just the most grinding unit. Like, other units do very hard things, and you can't take that away from them. All their selections and everything, but... Just living as a private in the Rangers and then growing up in battalion, I swear, is different than anywhere else. Oh, it's- I, I remember when I was there at Benning. I mean, the guys that would come out of come out of there, I mean, we're at least we're there for two plus years, even yep. in that time frame, which was the 90s, were very much like, OK, this are, there's a burnout phase and guys right. who continue on. You know, there's a lot of respect for those guys who end up staying and rotating and that grind. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. not that works for some guys you know they're like a duck in water in ranger battalion and they're they're happy with that daily striving for perfection at all costs and gut checks every day yeah like you said everybody's got their burnout rate sometimes you hit it at two years sometimes you hit it at 10 years so regiment's average uh burnout rate is actually two years and i can't believe it if it's still the highest in the army but it used to be one of the highest burnout rates in any unit that's that's yeah i can totally see that so do you, have you guys like taken your fellow brothers in arms that have come back and just said listen you need to come here just kind of veg kind of chill find yourself and then go every you know. we get yep we're, we're trying to expand right now to where we have a sort of impromptu or informal retreat and our buddies as they transition if they need a place to stay for a couple months or want a place to stay for a couple months or need to come out for a weekend and clear their head and get some cool views and some wilderness they can come and do that Uh, we try to do trail rides jeep rides stuff like that for our buddies as kind of a pilot program for hopefully a bigger organization later on Um, but yeah our our door is very open to uh, to our ranger buddies and and anybody really, we focus on our ranger buddies because we have access to them. You know? Sure. A lot of those guys, they just, they get lost. You know what I mean? And it's, yeah. especially, I think now it's a little different because we're kind of understanding the mentality and like actually reaching out to one another. But you guys, like, you constantly go through just getting, like you said, your burnout rate is two years. Like you've been in for six. I mean, shoot, Kyle has been in, he's hitting 10 right now. He's I mean, just- it's like. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like you guys just won't it, you just have this like tunnel vision where you just won't quit. Like you just like I have to keep going, 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 but I'm not going to reach out if I'm hurt mentally, physically. So for you guys to reach out and be like, hey, come here. You you might not think you need this. You might think it's a handout. It's not like just come and hang out, decompress and then move on with your life. Like we're not telling you to come stay here and just do all of our hard work. Like come here and find yourselves. And I think that's what most people they need. And I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen too, like with different retreats, like people go or vets going out to these, these different locations where they come back, they're just kind of completely transformed people. Yeah. So. Like wounded warrior hunts and all that. And uh, 
The biggest thing I swear I've learned is people need time when they first get out because you have this anxiety where you're like, okay, what's the next school I'm going to? What am I working at? You know, I got to work in my career. got to do this. And people might get locked into a career path or a, a life path that they don't realize they don't really want. And, you know, like when I first got out, I wanted to jump into all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, Paul also, like the civilian shooting program, like if he didn't have that time to kind of set up his VA stuff and think, you know, maybe he'd still be that guy. Oh, yeah, I, I would have been down a path that I didn't really want to be on. It, that's the problem is you get out of the military, you've been taught to be pragmatic and decisive. So you see an opportunity, you jump on it. And that works when you're on a nine month cycle of training, deploy, more training, uh, and everybody else is living on a whole year long cycle, you get out in the real world and you know that everything's so slow. You, you don't realize how much time you actually have to be patient and weigh your decisions. And that's probably the best advice I got when I was transitioning. Uh, James told me, as well as my brother who was a Neo D Marine, they both transitioned before I did. And they said the same thing. Just don't, don't get, take the first job. Don't make a big move take your time, accept the help from your buddies if they want to help you and figure out who you are really. Cause you're, you're a different man than when you joined and that's the best advice. I mean, I would be, I would be in a much, much worse position in my life if it weren't for that. Just taking time afterwards to figure out the right path for me and find one that was optimal. That's great advice. And actually, it's uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Griff from Combat Flip Flops, one of the founders of Combat Flip Flops. Yeah. He was a ranger. At, yep. One of the we had him on the show, and one of the things that he mentioned that I thought was great, we asked him about what do you you know what do you think is the biggest thing that uh, people can do in transition. He's like, uh, well, just you know, come home. I think he said, sell everything you got, collect your money. And just veg for a year. Veg out, yeah. Just for, for a, six months to a year. Yeah, yeah. just. He's <laughs> probably, yeah. That's but, but try telling that to a first sergeant who just retired and has been working 80 hour weeks for his whole adult life. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a hard pill to swallow when somebody tells you, like, don't work real hard. <laughs> yeah. Do the easy thing. Yeah. And you'll be okay. Relax. <laughs> yeah. But I think, like, what you guys are doing with being having the ranch and, like, having to run a ranch, I mean, you're still giving, like, during that transition period, like, there's still a purpose out there. You know, other than, like, making it all zen and finding yourself and all that. But it's just, like, you have to work hard with what you're doing out there. Oh, yeah. You got so, animals, you know. You got to, once you meet the animals and you realize you're making their food, you kind of have a purpose there and you're just it's funny these little things that you start worrying about that you know if you're a ranger you laughed about like right now we're worried about spraying these weeds out of our hayfield it's such a problem you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> compared to waziristan you know and the imu and all that like it's a pretty it's an all right problem to have well you know and it's funny because that you mentioned that a lot of people don't realize that when you do make the transition, the guys that were the pain in the butts as your leaders or the work that you did that you thought was a pain in the butt, all those all those things actually transition with you. They end up following you. They take on a different face, a different name. They take on a different activity. But you're going to have to always embrace the suck. It's just going to be there in yeah. some way. You know, The war never ends. The enemy changes. You know, whether it's doing your taxes and all your tags for your vehicles and all the BS of just normal everyday life that you kind of push to the wayside when you're a ranger and you're just focusing on that mission and then getting out and worrying about all these mundane tasks. 
but you still that in one sense is like a war because everything was so important when you're a ranger you're saving the world you know right <laughs> but then there's this new war when you get out there's that and then you're dealing with civilians that don't have the sort of uh, integrity or honor that your buddies in the regiment have and you know you feel kind of alone and there's just always some sort of battle or strife you know there's no finish line, you know, don't focus on that light at the end of the tunnel because you're going to keep going until the light goes out. So take us on the day in the life of Paul and James. <laughs> Man, it's, it's different every day. That's the thing. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, a normal day. Well, it depends on the time of year, honestly, like wintertime. Most of the time, all we have to worry about is putting hay bales out, getting trap on it, you know, and uh, you're just checking your cattle. Um, January, we load up our steers and that kind of sucks. You talk about embracing the suck, like January, if it's just above freezing, you're walking through like couch up past your boots and <laughs> kind of like the suck mud in Afghanistan, but you're worried about these 900 pound steers that can run through you in the second if they get all worried. And so it's a little exciting. You got to wake up early. It's kind of like a mission, you know, you're getting up before dawn and working these cattle or it's really cold, you know, but then you got springtime coming around and uh early spring before everything starts growing we start working our cattle and that's always fun because you got more time in the saddle catching up cattle with your horses and giving them shots and stuff that's probably i think paul's favorite oh yeah you know because then we got to do fertilizer and whatnot and then we're cutting hay like this time of year but you got breaks in between the cuttings and all so cattle are working your hay is rolled up we already did our first cutting enough to feed our cattle, so we're kind of good now. And uh, we're going to focus on horseback riding a little bit more and having some fun. So do you have a full-on garden, or is it just the hay? Just the hay. Paul uh, has a greenhouse. Yeah, I've got a greenhouse that I neglect a couple times a week. Neglect. <laughs> but uh, no, I don't think – we've got a few tomatoes. That's about it. Yeah. Kind of, right now it's beef. <laughs> it's kind of different every day. You know, it's a, it's nice not to have a such a strict routine, uh, but you still have, you know, critical yeah. things you got to do or your animals die. So, like, that's kind of what motivates me to get up in the morning. Well, those things aren't cheap either. I mean, they're quite expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so are the tractors. <laughs> nope. So are the tractors. That's funny. Yeah. No, I mean, how many head of cattle do you have? We've got 75 now. Oh, goodness. Okay. But we work in like an unofficial cooperative, which kind of helps you with like why farming, I think, is a good industry that I know about for this. Is uh, You kind of like we work with four other farmers. It's a, two father-son teams on two ends of the county, and they both kind of gave us the first step in uh, working with them and teaching the stuff. And they have two different styles. And, uh, you know, one of them's real calm and one of them's like real raging. And, uh, like the one father, son team, the son was uh, going to be a professional athlete, stayed home. They run 600 cattle between two of them. And then the other has 300. So really between six people, we have about a thousand head of animal that we uh, all take care of. Primarily, uh, Herefords, uh, Brahmas, Brangus. Mostly, uh, Black Angus and Hereford. Yeah. Uh, that's what goes best for at the market right now so right have you heard of the va wanting vets to be ranchers or there's a program or something that they're wanting them to do have you heard about anything like that no, no. i really, really <laughs> no. want to figure out some kind of government to help guys get trackers and 
like lease land when it comes up on the list and all. I want to try to work at that because I think every veteran needs to be a farmer in my mind. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it really, I haven't heard of that VA program, but long term, that's something we're very interested in is helping other guys that are interested in doing something different and giving back, giving them an avenue into this business. Because to go from a job where I go out to a place in the world and kill people, that's my job to come back and put something good into the food system uh, and give back to your community and work with these father-son farmer farming oh, teams like it's it in, it automatically integrates you into your community it's you form a bond because you're out there working in the heat or the cold or whatever and, and it gives you a sense of belonging and and also you know I can't eat 70 some cows in 70 years you know right. so fact that we have we're making that much food and it's good food we know what's in those animals you can eat it it's not going to give you a third eyeball or make your kids have flippers right like that <laughs> means a lot you know like we're still doing good work but i'm doing something peaceful like i'm making food instead of taking life and it's, yeah exactly it, it so what like, would you put in those cows if you wanted your children to have flippers i'm, I'm just asking <laughs> all, all stuff that the army vaccinated me with yeah <laughs> I love it. You know, actually, back in the day when farming was a primary industry or a primary occupation after the wars of like Civil War, American Revolution, French Indian Wars, all those types of things, the soldiers would get land, free land or some type of subsidy or something like that. It is kind of interesting that you mentioned that, that if there isn't a program out there, why isn't there? Especially if there's an interest or there's a need. These are the best men our country have. And, uh, you know, instead of them swallowing a barrel, you know, you turn them back into functioning members of the community. And like you said, you're integrated. And even if you just stay in that community, you know, like in these small towns, these people really look up to you, you know, and you can teach these youngins like a lesson or two, you know, and uh, it's a good place to be in. And like you said, I, that's funny you mentioned back in history that you used to always do that for veterans. And yeah, that's something I noticed. Like, well, why isn't that now? And the problem with farming is, you know, getting the land. Like, in a way, that's how we had to work with those father-son teams because you have to get lease land, rental land. You got to find out where the land opens up. You got to talk to the landowner. Or, so you're a sharecropper kind of thing then? Um, In a sense, yeah. You have, like, people who buy these big farms that are too expensive for guys like us, but they don't know how to farm or anything. So we go out there and basically so they can keep it in land use, we get the run cattle or cut hay off of their land and uh sure so it works out for us you know because yeah. we've got to bring all the equipment to the table which is a quarter mil you know when you put it all together to start and yeah <clears throat> just to start and uh no so it, it's it's interesting that we're doing that here that so the area we're at after the civil war they would give away parcels of land here to generals and colonels and stuff like that mm -hmm. so one of the one of the farms we work near is an old farm that a colonel from the Civil War was awarded after his commission. Um, and it just kind of makes sense to do. You know, you go to war, you come back to your nation's capital, and then you start farming. It's like this kind of Roman centurion feeling I get when I'm looking up at the mountains. And exactly. Well, I like what you said, too, about how you're taking care of the animals. You're having to get up. You have that routine that you're already accustomed to of getting up early, going to bed late, working hard throughout the day. 
it gives you that sense of purpose. You're taking care of something. You're looking out for your fellow brother who's also trying to look out for the same animals and the same crop or whatever the case. I, yeah, it's very dangerous. So, uh, like yeah. working the cattle, we still get that feeling, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, the cows will try to kill you. Equipment will will turn on you when you're not paying attention. So, yeah, being just just being here, even before I knew how to do anything, the first few weeks and and watching James and. Yeah, you know, like you still feel like you're doing something. I've still got that sense that I was, you know, pulling overwatch on another ranger. And mm-hmm. That's so, what I found I was missing in the, you know, as a marksmanship instructor. I love guns. I love the range. I love, you know, working in the heat, shooting all day. But I, I was always missing that feeling I got from ranger battalion. And I realized it's because I'm, I'm with people I don't know. The thing that I really valued about being a ranger and being in the service was my brothers and sisters in arms. And... It wasn't it wasn't the guns. It wasn't the uniform. It wasn't the rank or the status or the salary or any of that stuff. It was the fact that I was surrounded by good people that were going to do as much for me as I was going to do for them. And being able to find that again and then work that way again with one of my best friends, it's it's such a blessing, man. I can't even really quantify how much that means. One of the things we really try to tell people is that keep that bond going with your veteran brothers and sisters because I can tell you that I've been out for some time and I can walk into a situation, a room or you know, a group of people and as soon as we start talking about our past or something comes up and they mention military, there's an instant connection that happens. Absolutely. Yep. yep. And, and, and I think that that kind of bond, you find that if we work together as a team as we did in the military, think about how powerful this nation could be in terms of business and producing yeah. things. We, we've got like the largest population of veterans and combat veterans that we've ever had, I think. I, I might be wrong about that, but no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's so important that we, when guys transition or gals, uh, you get them on track, you get their mind centered because those people have so much potential, you know, these are the guys that ran the field hospitals. These are the guys that ran the huge fleets in our motor pools. And that's not nothing. That's a huge deal. And figuring out a way to make those skills transferable and give that person purpose. It, it's it's worth, worth the investment. It's going to pay you back a hundred times. Yeah. We are uh, always joke, you know, uh, watching like a zombie movie, you know, <laughs> This guy's pulling a guy along. You're like, God, he should just leave that guy. And I was like, you know what? You're like my buddy that's worth carrying along, Paul, and the zombie tech. Because yep. you need that <laughs> friend there, okay, to center you and keep you going and realize that, hey, you know what? I do have value. I am a, like, because the guy you serve with saw you at the greatest moments of your life, you know, at least in your mind, you know, besides, like, you know, having children, getting married, stuff like that. But, you know, I joke and say it's like I caught a Hail Mary in the Super Bowl, but no no one was watching the TV because it was just me and my buddies that know about it. And now we're all spread out all over the country. So if you guys stay connected, you know you're still valuable. And then, like you said, the nation, what the nation could be right now. Like, that's what we love about our buddy Nick Irving on TV doing this American Grit show. They're trying to transfer some of those. It's almost like military mentors to civilians. And if we can just expand that as like a whole, our whole military doing that. You know, our whole nation will be better. So you guys have been like on the, I guess the inside more so of seeing what's going behind the scenes because I'm sure you talked to him um, offline. Oh, yeah. So I know um, we had a, a guest on Colin McLaughlin. He's actually in the UK. He was an SAS uh, soldier over there, and he 
is a part of this show that they take civilians, just much like American Grit, and they send them through um, an eight-day condensed selection of their SAS, which is like their special forces over there. And he says, like, the transformation of the individual's in just that short period of time, it's incredible. And I think the most amazing piece is that they're, they're not receiving any kind of monetary, you know, there's, there's no money or anything at the end, no reward. It's personal growth. Look at Tough Mudder. Yeah. Tough people paid for that. Right. (laughs) Right. That's tough and basic training to see if you're tough enough to be a soldier and people now they want to go, they, they want to test it. You know, civilians yearn for that, too. I mean, you see yeah. them all over the place, marathon runners and stuff. And- I think we need to foster that. Mm-hmm. I got to invited me out to the season finale of American Grit. And I was going to say, I think I know that person on there. <laughs> but you, you meet these people and it's it's genuine. They actually. They're actually taking a lot away from these interactions with guys like Rourke Denver, Nick Irving or T. Marie and. I was surprised. I didn't expect that. I thought I'd meet some flaky reality stars, and I actually made a lot of good friends, people I'd consider close friends, and people that I now look up to um, that I never would have met otherwise. So it's Not just the coaches, but the contestants? I mean, to cut you off, just to clarify. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, the contestants were great, man. <laughs> Those people, they all have had a lot of heart. Yeah, I stay in fairly close contact with a couple of them. Well, I watched the, the last few episodes just because I'm, I'm not into the whole drama. You know how it is at the beginning. It's just super dramatic. Yeah. But you can definitely tell with like right before the season finale and then the finale, just you you can't fake what they went through and like their motivation and dedication, how much they cared about each other, regardless of being on different teams and everything. Yeah. So that's one thing too with uh, Colin. He was always saying like, we need to do more of this for mm-hmm. the civilian community, just like American Grid is doing because it's, it gives those people the sense of purpose and the motivation that they never had or they didn't think that they could contribute to society. It's good for veterans too, you know. It gives us some common ground and a common frame of reference to interact with with other civilians. And it's easy to be jaded when you're surrounded by, uh, you know, special forces guys or rangers or, you know, even if you're just in a regular military unit, you get out and you automatically want to have a negative opinion of civilians. And that's that's not a well-founded opinion to have. Yeah, you know? So you. I think anything you can do to bridge that gap and find common ground is important to welcoming service members back into the fold and also helping civilians understand just what it is we're going through. There is a big disconnect. Yeah, a huge disconnect. Obviously, but I mean, think about, when it's I not insurmountable. Yeah, not insurmountable. It was like when I was in basic, uh, I just remember being just astounded at how much I didn't know about our military. You know, like my grandfather was a colonel and I didn't realize until I was a private, like, holy crap, (laughs) you know, and, you know, he's the guy that we all clean for three days for the chance that he might show up. And like that, that was my own grandfather. And uh, another neighbor of mine just moved in. He was talking about his friend that got buried. His friend was just a radar guy in Iceland. And at his funeral, his family said he was like a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. And it's just we need to know more about our military those are good values that can be transferred. It's not all killing and, you know, whatever, violence. Plus, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people and it seems like, you know, they don't ask it this way, but the public at large wants to know what they've been paying for for the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel obliged to fill them in most of the time, you know? I mean, yeah. 
we're, we're tax, the military is a taxpayer-funded organization. Taxpayers shouldn't be left in the dark about what's going on and what your daily life is like. And Well, your nation needs heroes. They ought to know like what some people have done so that they know that's still alive and it is reality. It's not stuff you read in books from back in World War II. There's still stuff happening and there's people walking around like that. Um, and you can still be like that. That's not an abstract thought. This honor, um, you know, caring for other people, putting others before yourself, things like that, that, you know, foundations of a community, nation or anything. I think that that's kind of the fault of, of course, the media and the things that we tend to focus on back here in the States while our soldiers, sailors, airmen or Marines are out, out there fighting for our country and for leaders who have put them in, in these places that we, we get disconnected because it's not on television all the time. It's not talked about. It's kind of like Vietnam in some cases where it ends up being the forgotten war or the forgotten, in some cases, widening that divide uh, between the private sector civilians and those that are served in the military. But what's yeah. incredible with this situation that, you know, is presented before us is like, like yourselves, we as veterans that know this, we need to take accountability and get out there and, and like what you guys are doing and preach about what we're doing and where your tax dollars are going and yeah, exactly. and hone in on these on these traits about what veterans are that we're not just like killing machines and baby killers and all this stuff that, you know, that I think it's our job, our responsibility, like what we're doing right now is just to constantly be hounding the public like this is who we are and this is what, what how the community like we want to share this with the community, like how we feel about our brothers and sisters in arms. Like we the fact to, that we want to get out there is important. Well, we have to change the conversation too, that it's not about a sense of entitlement because I think right. that's occurring as well. And some of it's being fostered by organizations that are really kind of feeding that. So it's, it's good to want to help individuals, but in some cases then they, they may end up thinking that, okay, well I am entitled to this because I did something that no one else wanted to do. That's true. You yeah. got to swallow that pill when you get out that, hey, you did that and you were you served. You, know, you volunteered to do that. Everybody has the opportunity, I mean, regardless of medical issues or whatever, to, to join. But ultimately, you volunteered for that job. So. And it's well documented, the rigors you're going to go through. I mean, maybe you can't anticipate every negative effect, but... Yeah, you, you more or less know what you're getting into, I think. I completely agree. I think the idea of veterans or the military in general as a, this sort of sacred cow is absurd. You know, that's how you end up with a corrupt military that does things that you don't want them to do overseas, you know, like massacring a village or, you know, perpetuating sex crimes or something like that. Oh, I guess. But no, the big problem also is every time people talk about the going overseas and stuff, it's just so negative everyone's like they want to get all somber and quiet when you start talking about it and stuff and you know people don't even realize like i don't know I, I had a blast also you know like it's fun as shit and you know i had a christmas eve mission where we went and we killed a guy who had killed a bunch of little girls for going to school and that felt good you know like it felt really really good you know dragging guys like that out of the room while they were clawing at their furniture in the middle of the night and they don't even know what the hell's going on and you know they used to do that to innocent civilians and families, you know, slaughtering them. Like, that's a great feeling, and we do do great things. And, you, you know, like this counterweight to, hey, we're not all just killers. I think you come out by showing them, like, hey, all these 
you know, these brotherhood compassion things. And when we go over there, like, you know, my buddy carrying around a little girl in the middle of a firefight and delivering her back to her family, things like that, you know, and, you know, we also have to show that we're capable of doing these good things and people need to know that's not all slaughtering because the news wants to put on, I remember we did one mission. We didn't even, we killed like four guys and then we're watching Fox news later. And it said like army commandos run off helicopters, shooting machine guns and kill. I think they said like 60 civilians. It's like so, Rambo out there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Which is. Killed, yeah. Yeah. None, well, none of that actually happened. Yeah. None of that. But happened. fear and negativity and like, that fuels media and gives them the numbers they need. That's good. Right? So, and that's kind yeah, of it's good for ratings. Exactly. You know, it's like, we've got two, two separate groups that real, that paint the picture of who we are, you know, whatever the political powers may be and the national media. Um, and neither of those are actually trustworthy sources for what's really going on. So the onus is on us to, to get our voice out there and be our own advocates. We don't want it shoved down your throat. And we're not we're not asking you to do that. There are groups uh, of people that are really willing to parade around wounded veterans, and yeah, a lot that. of that seems in poor taste. But on the other hand, I don't know if there's I don't know of a better way right off the top of my head well, either. So. That's a good point right there. Talking about the wounded warriors, being one myself, I've played wheelchair basketball and stuff. A sign up at this unit when I was there. At the crosswalk, so many days since suicide, so many days since DUI, you know, with the countdown thing next to it. And I was like, you guys need to take that down. Like, stop making this look like pitiful little things that can't do anything. And we're all sad and we couldn't handle the war. So give us money and stuff like, you know, show how badass these guys are. Put them in one of those uh, track wheelchairs going around in the woods and uh, riding a horse, something like that, you know, not... Me, well, girl. it's another war in itself that we're we're fighting when we get back is our image and how we don't want it to be portrayed. Like you said, like we're broken and weak and mentally disturbed. And yeah. Oh, yeah, because war is so horrible. You can't ever do it. You know, like you people need to understand that there is good war. Us going in and stopping bad people from killing innocent people is worth that. You know, you just don't make it look like you ruined our lives because of it you know like i didn't get hurt by the enemy but you know i have some negative things i guess from the war you know but i'm happy to have them because what i did to get those negative things was worth it you know right. and i wouldn't even say that they're negative things it's like a cause and effect where you were sent over there to do a job and you yeah. did it correctly exactly so I mean, think about the the domino effect of what happened after those events happened. So it's all about presence and and what you put into it. And I I wouldn't even it's that's not negative at all. That's just it's a part of war. Yeah. <laughs> and it's no, and it's a honestly it's a positive thing. Like you saying you went in there, like dragging out this rapist of these little girls or killing all these little girls. And it's like if you were to paint that picture for the media here in the states. You would have people like throwing you in the air and like having parades about you. You know what I mean? But nobody ever talks about that. All they talk yeah. about is that one guy that lost his mind and went on a killing spree in an Afghan village. It's like, please, exactly. there's so probably, it's such a bigger war out there. Yeah, he probably should have been pulled from active service six months or a year before that happened. Mm -hmm. You know, what words of advice would you give the guys that are coming off active duty then? I mean, what would you say to them about how to make this transition easier? Time. Find a way 
to take time. If it's a month, good. If it's six months, even better. If you can do a year, that would be ideal. You know, just don't. There's so many opportunities you don't know are out there. You don't know, you know. And the the thing about getting out of the military, I've, it happened to me. It's happened to a bunch of my buddies. You don't realize all the the physical pain you may be burying under initiative to get the job done, and how much how tired you really are. I got out of the army, and in six months I couldn't run anymore. I mean, my body just kind of fell apart, and I. It made sense, you know, after I talked to some of my buddies, the same thing happened. It's like, you're, you're going to get out and everything's going to change. Your body's going to change. Your mental state's going to change. Who, you know, you're not going to go back to the person you were before the army. You're not going to be the person you were in the army. That's going to change. It's going to take you months, sometimes years to kind of settle into that new identity. All right. And you don't have so much of a choice about who you're going to become. But if you give yourself time and space to grow and take advantage of, your friends who want to help you out or your family who wants to help you out, then I think you'll be all right. But that's the hardest part is taking that time and letting somebody else help you. I think that'd be my biggest yeah, piece of advice. I think time, time and, uh, don't talk too much about the army. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I realized, you know, like people don't want to hear it. Then you're shoving it down your throat. Yeah. Find something else to do. So you have something else to talk about with people. You know, uh- before we let you y'all go, I want to Paul. I got a uh, invite on Facebook for your public profile or page writer. So you want to fill us in on what that entails? Yeah. So I made the fan page because for the last year and a half, I've been working with St. Martin's Press to get a book deal done, and we finally got the contract negotiated. I got paid. We're writing. The book will be out next year. so That's great. So when next year? Uh, we're not really sure. Uh, it's up to the publisher. There's like no real hard deadlines, I guess, in publishing. You're right. Uh, at least that's what my editor says. So so what's the page called? So like our, our listeners can definitely go in there and like it and, and follow your progress and get the book when it's released. It's uh, Paul Martinez, Sierra One, three seven five on Facebook. If you just type in Sierra one, three, seven, five, you'll find me. Yeah. I just, I think it's like you said, like our biggest, our, our, as veterans, our biggest objective now is getting the correct story out there. And I think you writing is incredible. And I definitely want our community as well as our new listeners or um, what have you to check your page out because what you guys are doing is amazing and I know you're, the story that you're going to be telling and the future stories you're going to tell um, is what's going to change our identity over here so uh, congratulations I think that's awesome and um, absolutely we're all super proud of you over here awesome that, that means a lot one of the things we talked about earlier was getting that positive message out uh, stories like James related you know just normal guys from anywhere America doing good things overseas and that that's going to be basically the premise of the book aside from you know awesome ranger suicide missions mm-hmm. uh yeah, they wanted me to do like a like a sniper memoir type thing and there will definitely be some sniper action in it but it's going to be more about you know the team I was on and the guys I was with and the things that they did you know I'd, I don't like to puff my chest out too much I'd rather give them credit and let my actions speak for themselves sure so, yeah. a lot well, just of- you're in James's story itself on like 
where you've started the accident and then where you're at now is incredibly inspirational and should definitely like give people the light they need. I mean, that's why I told Robert, I was like, you got, we haven't had any Rangers on here, which other than Griff. Yeah. Other than Griff. Right. Um, but I'm like, their story is incredible. And I'm like, you guys are just good dudes. Like Rangers are just they're And I, that's what I hate, especially when I talk to people like, Oh, Rangers are baby killers and all this stuff. And it's like, no, they're humble, good dudes. Like you just can sit there and just chat with them about anything. And I'm like, you gotta have them. We have to have them on the show. So I just, I'm very thankful that you guys came on and shared your story. Cause it definitely needs to be heard. Thank you. No, we're real happy for the opportunity. You know, like you said, spreading the word any way you can, you know. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio.